I mean, if you just look at all the little vegan cheese companies popping up all the time, um, the category is only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And we're going to see more and more high-end cheeses as well as better everyday cheeses, you know, the kind that you throw on a burger. Welcome to the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show with your host, Jerry Saver. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 24 of the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show. My name is Jerry Saver, and this is the podcast for you if you're looking for inspiration and ideas on how to get started, or if you want to learn more about the skills to run a successful plant-based business. Now, if you're listening to this show on iTunes, I would love for you to take a minute and leave us a review so we can reach more people. And if you're not listening on iTunes, well, now you know you can. Just search for the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show and you'll find all the episodes there. The other thing I wanted to let you know is that you can still get our insider report on the biggest plant-based business opportunities in 2017 from our website, theplantbasedentrepreneur.com. And this report has a complete overview of the seven plant-based sectors with the biggest growth potential, along with an analysis of the competitors and how much funding you need to launch in each of them. So you can get that from the plantbasedentrepreneur.com forward slash business ideas, or if you just go to the homepage, you'll see a download banner right at the top of it. Now, with that said, let's get to our interview. Today, I'm hosting a total authority on vegan cheese, Miyoko Shinner. Now, Miyoko has been active in the vegan scene for decades. She's authored multiple books. She's run a restaurant and a food business, and she sold it. And then she built another one, Miyoko's Kitchen. And this company just recently closed a Series B funding round that will allow them to expand their production like 30-fold. So I'm super excited for this opportunity today to talk to her and see how she got to this point. Miyoko, welcome to the show. Barry, thanks for having me. Well, thank you for joining me. And um, before we start, I just have to say I'm really sorry that the cheese samples that uh, that were sent over to me in Mexico apparently got delayed in customs. Um, we tried to get them out, but I guess either someone ate them or they didn't know what to do with them. So. Um, that's too bad, but I'll, I'll have to try some the next time we're in the States. So I'm, I'm sure we'll get there at some point. <laughs> um, now, I, I did a bit of an intro on you there, but um, just to give everyone a better idea of where you're coming from and what's your background, can you tell us a little bit about your early life and your personal reasons for, for becoming vegan? Sure. Uh, you know, uh, becoming a vegan for I think a lot of people is an evolution that takes uh, many years and sometimes can take different forms and, but in terms of the initial reason and, and what, where you end up in the end. But I've been a vegetarian for, gosh, fifth, almost 50 years now. Um, I became a vegetarian as a kid. And when I was in my mid-20s, um, I sort of fell off of the um, the vegetarian uh, wagon. I was living in Japan with my uh, aunt and uncle and was made to feel very guilty that I was putting, uh, you know, imposing on my aunt for, um, to, to make vegetarian food um, because it just, you know, they ate a lot of fish there. So I uh, started eating fish again. And so that was the first time in, you know, uh, since I had been a kid. And, and, um, and then one day I just sort of had a wake up call. Um, it was a combination of, I think, a dairy allergy because I always had stomach aches. But all of a sudden, it's like, oh my God, how am I, why am I eating fish? Why am I eating living beings? I stopped eating animals when I was 12 years old because I didn't want to harm animals. And so I just decided to go vegan. And that was back in the 1980s. And, you know, the word vegan really wasn't very well known. There weren't that many vegans around. So, and you, you were living in Japan at the time? I was living in Japan and it was just a constant struggle explaining to people every day, um, you know, why I didn't eat this, that or the other thing. So, um, you know, sorry, I'm not really familiar with, with Japanese culture in, in relation to veganism. How, 
how hard was it a to to eat like that and b to just yeah connect with people and and explain how and, and why well the strange thing is japan was a buddhist country for many years um so for hundreds of years veganism actually was the official diet um because it was run by priests and they mandated that animal products not be consumed so there is a whole history of a and culture around a style of eating called shojin ryori, which means um, basically vegan food, vegan cuisine that's cooked in the temples. And priests today still are vegan for the most part and eat a shojin ryori diet. Um, but the Japanese got away from that, unfortunately, especially since uh, World War II. And it became you know, a symbol of, um, of wealth and, and uh, just modernism to consume animal products. Um, when I actually first moved back to the to Japan in the 1980s, um, it was really hard to find good cheese. And I was a bona fide cheeseaholic. I just needed the very best, stinkiest, gooeyest, um, you know, uh, funkiest cheeses around. And I couldn't find anything except for processed cheese in Japan. Um, and then one day, you know, I delighted when I found this uh, import store. Uh, a store that sold imported goods. And it was like, all of a sudden, I could eat brie and camembert and gruyere again. I was just like so excited. Um, and so, you know, at the time when I was living in the 80s, um, and I first went there, I told my aunt I was a vegetarian and I needed cheese in order to get my protein. Um, and she went all around Tokyo looking for cheese and came back with some processed slices. Um, and, but then it changed. And then eventually, you know, I went vegan and didn't, wanted anymore anyway so it's funny because even though japan has that history modern japanese aren't aware of it they don't know that it's a it's something they just been completely indoctrinated by the americans and when i was growing up there in the 1950s and the early 60s um i never drank milk we didn't have milk we didn't have cheese but today it's one of those you know school requirements i mean every kid has to have milk and so it, they've really kind of gone backwards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's kind of the same all over um, mainland Asia as well, because right now, I believe China is the largest milk consumer importer in, in the world. And that, that's another country that had very little to do with, with dairy products up until the recent decades, really. Yeah, I know. The American culture has really just infiltrated so many places in so many different ways I and mean, not just music but food it's really unfortunate you know china they, they're mandating government is mandating a 50 percent reduction in meat yes yes i know and that's one of the reasons why i'm still hopeful for for china to to play a much bigger role in in the transition to a global plant-based diet because apparently they do see the the reasoning behind it yeah, I, I certainly am very helpful. Yeah. So after that, that that was your personal path. How about your your business path? What what brought you to what actually prompted you to start being active in, in the vegan scene? Vegan is is what started it. Um so I had become a vegan and all of a sudden I um needed to be able to eat the kind of foods that I wanted to. Uh, you know, I was really enamored with French and Italian cuisine. And of course, I couldn't eat that. I couldn't eat cheese. Cheese was my favorite food. Everything I cooked with had heavy cream and butter and cheese. In it. And all of a sudden, I couldn't eat those foods. So what was I going to do? So I started experimenting. And um, that's how I got into cooking. I started uh, cooking. I, I started, uh, I read French cookbooks and tried to figure out how can I do this? And I discovered cashew cream. This mm -hmm. was before cashew cream was a household word. You know, no one really knew about these things, but I just started playing around. Um, and of course, people in other parts of the world were also discovering uh, similar things. But um, I um, started inviting people to dinner every Friday night, and I would make a 12-course meal and see how it worked out. And and, um, and eventually, um, I developed this uh, all these recipes for cakes that were vegan. And I thought, I could go into business. So um, I opened up, I basically got a little, uh, rented a little bakery and I made these pound cakes. That was my first business. And that was in Japan? 
was in Japan yeah. and I had to take uh, something like three trains, two buses, and then walk two miles to get to this little hole in the wall, dusty bakery that I was renting for next to nothing. And of course I didn't have a car. So how was I going to deliver them? I had to put them in a backpack and I had 70 pound cakes because they, they weigh a pound each. So my backpack was 70 pounds and I would take the subway and I would deliver them all over Tokyo. And that was my first business. And I remember standing in this hot bakery on a summer day, baking these stupid pound cakes and thinking, why didn't I go into something like fashion? <laughs> this is so much easier. Um, but I don't know. That, that's really when my entrepreneurial streak was discovered. And I basically have been uh, starting businesses ever since. And how long did that last? And how, how much of that did you bring over to, to the States, to, to your American business? A couple of years. Um, and it actually led to um, me develop, working, partnering with a, a, um, a natural food distributor in Japan. And I designed menus for a couple of restaurants they opened up. And I did cooking demos all over Tokyo for them using their product lines. Um, and so that, and then I eventually met this business partner uh, uh, who was going to help me open a restaurant. Because what I really wanted to do was bring a high class uh, white tablecloth vegan restaurant to Tokyo. And this would have been the very first. And I thought this would be so cool. And I met up with this guy. I met this guy who um, owned um, a bunch of restaurants. And, and um, he was gonna, we were going to partner. And then it turned out it's a whole, it's kind of unbelievable. But um, he uh, started making demands that were um, far beyond a business contract. Um, you know, I was working on a cookbook and he wanted half of the royalties from the cookbook. He wanted, I was also moonlighting as a jazz singer. He wanted half of my proceeds from singing jazz. And he, and he wanted half of everything I did for the rest of my life. It was very, very bizarre. Anyway, it turned out he was connected with the Yakuza, which is the Japanese mafia. Uh -huh. And I started getting threats in the middle of the night. People would come knocking on my door at 3 a.m., threatening my life if, unless I signed this contract. And if, unless I paid this money and stuff like this, it was just incredible. And I went to the police and they wouldn't do anything. Um, and I was so scared. You know, I was in my 20s. I was like so scared that I finally left Japan and wow. came back to the United States. I, so, I, I would not imagine being vegan would get you involved with with the Yakuza or any, any other local mob. But um, there you go. Anyway. So that was a start. But so I came back to the United States and uh, I started baking cakes um, in my kitchen and started selling them to Whole Foods and, and uh, other natural food stores around the Bay Area in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, I wrote a cookbook that was published in 1990. Um, and these were recipes that I've been developing in Japan that I had been hoping to publish in Japan, but ended up uh, being translated into really the first sort of high end gourmet vegan cookbook published in the United States. Mm -hmm. um, at the time, you know, it was really, veganism was, was still very in its nascency and, and most of the recipes were sort of, you know, I don't know, hippy-dippy, if you want to call it that. So um, I was attempting to put together the first really high-end gourmet vegan cookbook. And I opened up a little bakery in San Francisco um, where we sold uh, high-end cakes um and pastries and that turned into a restaurant um, now and zen and then that eventually turned into a natural food manufacturing company so um you know it just one thing led to another and i just have to ask because um you you're pretty much you're involved with food you've been involved with food your entire life did you train to be a chef or is this just something that you were brought up with uh, no, no. I, I've always been fascinated with food. I mean, I learned to cook when I was 12, when I, when I went vegetarian. And my mother, after a couple of months, said, well, you're on your own. I'm not cooking for you anymore. And so I had to learn how to cook. And then when I went vegan, that's really when I just delved deeply into it and just started experimenting and just discovered new ways of doing things. You know, that's when I first started playing around with making plant-based cheeses. Mm -hmm. um, but no, I don't have a culinary background. I have a degree in philosophy. Um, but, you know, part of that is just analyzing things and, and figuring out what makes things work. And you can apply the same um, critical thinking to uh, to food as well. Yes, yes, you can. Although I don't think most people 
approach cooking in, in that philosophical way. But I, I totally agree with you there. Yes, yes, you can apply this, this way of thinking. So now we're, we're at the point where you have your natural food company. Does that still exist? That, that's the one that you sold, right? Yeah, I sold that in 2003. Um, and then the company that bought that um, went out of business about five years later. Okay. So. And what what were you doing at the time, or how did you how did you see the evolution of of the vegan scene in in that time, really? Oh, you know, it, it really, um, I would say that the biggest changes took place after I sold my company. Um, but until then, veganism still was growing, and but I would say that. You know, back in the 1980s, early 90s, it was kind of non-existent. Um, there were small vegan groups. I didn't have a lot of, I felt like I was kind of doing it, um, you know, just sort of um, in, in isolation much of the time. And mm -hmm. people would come out of the woodwork, but they were just, it was really hard to, to find people that really understood it. Back then, you had to explain to people why you were making cakes that were vegan. Right. I mean, you wouldn't say vegan. I would usually say, oh, these cakes have no dairy, no eggs, or no sugar. Um, because I was also like not into sugar at the time. I was a much, um, I was baking with things like fruit juice concentrates. And, mm -hmm. and I, you know, basically, it was more of a health angle. There's no cholesterol in this. And that's how I would sell my cakes. And I think we're at, there's a point when you, if you have to explain the very essence of something, then it's it's not going to work either mm -hmm. you know the, the times aren't ready or the product isn't the right product yeah yeah so, if you have to or, go really into detail about it then it kind of dilutes the idea it, it's not the the whole that people need to understand yeah i mean people need to be i mean if you have, for a product to be successful people have to be able to get it immediately you have to be, you know, it's like, this is what it is, and you either get it or you don't. And if more people don't get it, then it's not going to take off. Mm -hmm. um, but you should have to explain something, you know, using paragraphs and paragraphs. It just, so, so it was kind of early stages for veganism. But, you know, I was just committed to proving that vegan foods could become mainstream. That was my biggest goal. Um, I really felt that was the only way that you could reach the masses. I mean, you know, I believe in a, a, a vegan economy. I believe in, I think that's the only way we're really going to make change. Lasting change is if there are enough excellent products out there that it makes it easy for the masses to make that transition. Because it doesn't matter how much you understand it up here or feel it in here. If the products aren't available to make it easy for you, we're human. We're weak. We just give in to our impulses and our desires. A lot of people just will never make that change. They can't make that transition because they just are, you know, are, we're, we just respond to our weaknesses and our cravings. So, you know, from the very beginning, I really felt that my mission in life was to create outstanding vegan foods that, um, everybody would enjoy yeah i i can totally totally agree with with that point as well and that that's why i see such potential in for example vegan fast food chains because as you said people are prone to react on impulses and when we're hungry we like a fast solution so i i'm really excited about all the options that are popping up now to serve those impulses and and are vegan, and right. yeah, you know we need answers at every level. Yes, so we definitely need those fast food options. We need those junk food options. We need the gourmet options. We need the you know the DIY homegrown options. We need options that satisfy the impulses of every type of human being. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's it's interesting that you're bringing up impulses and weaknesses because i think cheese is one of those weak points for for so many people who would like to be vegan or would like to go vegan but i, I don't know how it is in your experience because i think that some places probably california among them they, they do have a lot more options 
but that that's uh, an objection that I hear a lot of times that, you know, I, I could go vegan, but I could never give up cheese. I hear that all the time. Um, and, you know, I think there were better meat substitutes earlier on than cheese substitutes. So oh, I think this is just the beginning of the rise of cheese substitutes. And in fact, the, the research shows for that. Um, Spins did a market research um, on uh, the plant-based foods category last year in 2016. Um, plant-based foods uh, overall are growing very, very rapidly, but um, at around 20%. But within that category, vegan cheese, um, it was the fastest growing. It's growing at 31. It grew at 31% last year. Yeah. And that's, so it's growing that's in amazing. Triple digits. Um, our our company is growing in triple digits. Um, <laughs> wow, that 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 is even more amazing. So um, now, cheese making. I I remember it must have been years ago. We did your um, your mozzarella recipe from the artisan um, cheese cookbook. You you know which one I mean. I've got two mozzarella recipes in there. Um, um, we, we did, yeah, which one are you talking about? We, we did the one where you use some um, iced water to um, to make it. Yeah, so they both use I mean they both use iced water, and that was kind of a idea I had for kind of um, getting the agar to um, in the cheese to lock yeah. up. See, in that case, I'm, I'm, I'm lost because it was actually my wife who, who found the recipe. I only assisted in the kitchen, but I, I know it was probably the, the best mozzar homemade mozzarella alternative that, that we ever came up with in our own kitchen. And that, that was actually the, the book was published before you started Miyoko's Kitchen, right? Yeah, I think that was one of the reasons that we started out with uh, started off with such a bang. The book was published in 2012, so it's been five years now. And you know, I so to go back a little bit um, after I sold Now and Zen in 2003, um, I was kind of burned out running businesses because I'd had businesses of every size. Um, you know, um, from the from when I first started making the pound cakes to having a business with you know. Uh, dozens of employees in the end. And um, I was really tired. And I really felt like I hadn't been truly successful. I mean, none of them really made a lot of money. Um, and um, even though it uh, helped, um, I guess, establish, uh, you know, notoriety uh, for me and my brand and also help spread veganism, you know, it wasn't, they weren't businesses that I really, you know, took away a lot of money from, um, not much at all, in fact. And so I really didn't want to get back into business. Um, and so I went back to writing cookbooks for a while and teaching cooking classes. And I also got into real estate where I actually did make a lot of money, um, but eventually left because it was just, you know, soulless. I felt like there was really no, there was no passion and, and I felt very empty. So I wrote the cookbook in 2012 and I had no intention of starting a business. Um, and as I went around the country speaking about the book and doing cooking demos and connecting with people, uh, people kept saying, well, I love your book, uh, but it's such a hassle making the cheeses. So can't you just, you know, why don't you just start another business and I'll be your first customer? Um, and enough people told me that, um, that um, you know, put the idea in my head, but I still didn't have the confidence until I talked to Seth Tibbet who is the founder of Toferky. And he and I had been competitors when I had the product called the Unturkey, which was the second leading turkey alternative in the country mm -hmm. back in the 90s. And um, so I stayed in touch with him and he tried some of my cheese creations and he said, wow, these are so good. If you ever start another business, I'll be your first investor. And that really kind of gave me the confidence. I started talking to him and he did become my first investor. Um, along with Billy Bramlett, who was one of the founders of Wildwood. And they're both on our board today. So that really gave me the confidence to get back into business and see if this time I could really make it successful. So they became our my first investors, and um, we finally decided to start the company in 2014. And when we launched the product line uh, in September 2014 as an online uh, e-commerce business, um, we had 
um, so many followers. We had so many orders that um, by the end of the weekend, we had $50,000 in orders. Wow. So that that was just from the people that you you connected with during your um, traveling around and, and giving cooking classes? Yes. So I, I really cannot stress that enough, the importance of connecting with people and doing the work beforehand. I mean, if you're a new entrepreneur and you're wondering, how am I going to get my product out to the marketplace and be known? Take your product everywhere. What I did for a couple of years was that I would take cheese platters to um, functions, events, local events. I donated to every fundraiser I could think of um, that reached out to me. And I just got known. I had I got the product into as many mouths as possible. I think a lot of entrepreneurs think, well, I can't afford to do that. Well, you can't afford not to do that. You've got to, you know, there's, you've got to pay your dues. I and mean, there's a little bit of hard work and investment that goes into it. But if you can just get that recognition ahead of time, um, it can go a long ways to um, easing uh, problems down the line. Mm -hmm. and, and you started out just as an e-commerce business or, or did you go with physical distribution as well? Did, no, you just an e-commerce business. Okay. Um, in fact, you know, I wasn't even sure how many people would actually buy that cheese. So I was shocked when uh, we, we basically sold out right away. And it's like, how are we going to make all this cheese? So it was pretty crazy. Um, but um, yes, it was just e-commerce. And then a couple of months later, we decided to start selling through distributors. Where and, where did you make your, your first cheeses? Was that in your own kitchen? Did you start out with a shop somewhere or? Did I start out with a what? Did you start up with a with a workshop somewhere, or where where was Miyoko's Kitchen first based? Oh, the first Miyoko's Kitchen was based exactly where we are today. Um, so initially, we were going to make cheese in um, this facility and then sell it there as a we're going to have a little retail shop. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of the concept was e-commerce and retail, and the retail shop never opened. That's actually where we do our shipping now. Um, because um, and we have desks crammed in there, and we're moving to a uh, thirty thousand square foot facility in uh, July, June or July of this year. Um, right now, we have about seventy five hundred square feet, and we just completely outgrew it. We started out with four employees, and now we're closer to fifty. Wow! How much cheese are you putting out per per week or per month? I think it's around, it's, that's pretty funny because when we first moved in there, we thought there's no way we could ever make more than 30,000 units a month in this facility. And now we're making, I think, something like 120,000. Units? Yeah, units, yeah. How, how much is that in, in pounds? Like? In, well, each round weighs between six and a half ounces and eight ounces. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's... Uh, um, actually, we're not filling most of our orders. So this sounds embarrassing, but we've grown to such a point that there, uh, we have something called a fill rate. And that's what percentage of the order you fill. And our fill rates have been embarrassingly low because we just can't meet demand. Um, and we're trying to ramp up as fast as we can. We are getting better every single month, but every time we improve our efficiencies and increase our numbers, then the orders go up. So for the last two or three months, our fill rates have been around 60%, which is just unfortunately uh, inadequate. And so we're trying to move as fast as we can. We're bringing in some um, uh, another piece of equipment that might help us increase efficiency before we move. Um, but we're spending a lot of our time talking to retailers and brokers and distributors and saying, please hang in there with us. We're doing our best, but we're just at more than capacity right now well that's in a way that's a good thing as well i mean it's it's not good if it's an ongoing problem that would actually be losing you customers but from what i understand you you'll be expanding greatly in in a very short time so um you should be able to cover that right we hope so i mean we definitely hope so you know people say wow what a great problem to have but you know what it is a problem nevertheless Yeah. And what ends up happening is that you have these out-of-stock situations on store shelves. Customers don't get upset and they write to you and say, why can't I ever get this product? Mm -hmm. What's wrong with you? And, and so 
Um, and then, you know, stores are really unhappy because they could be selling. I mean, every, every inch of space on the store shelf on, in the store has to generate revenue. So when you've got an out of stock situation constantly, they're like, well, I can give that shelf space to somebody else who can deliver on a regular basis. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's that kind of thing. Um, so we're really, really trying hard to kind of get our act together. Um, but it's, it's one of those growing pains. Um, and, you know, I, I've heard it. I've heard the same story from other very um, from other companies as well too. So I'm, I'm just hoping and crossing my fingers that um, our customers will just hang in with us for a little bit longer. Well, based on what you've told me so far, I think they they'll be happy to. Just just my feeling. Now this um, recent funding round that I mentioned, I, I'd love to know more about how how you grew to this point and how did you find the investors in what's what's your relationship with them actually so um from the very beginning i decided that we would take um that we needed strategic investors not just money so even in our seed round we had people that were more strategic they were connected to capital Mm -hmm. but their mission aligned with us so one of our earlier investments, um, investors was the, um, was HSUS, the Society of the United States. They actually have an investment arm that invests in vegan businesses because they do, you know, no matter how controversial they may be, what they want to do is in, increase that week, the vegan economy, mm-hmm. um, invested in us. And, um, that led us to, um, and as well as, um, um, Bistone, uh, I'm sorry, Evan Williams um, of Twitter. Uh, sorry, I uh, not this one, but Evan Williams of Twitter invested in us, um, and he eventually ended up starting. Uh, one of the founder became one of the founders of um, Obvious Ventures, which is a um, private equity fund um, that is uh, dedicated to investing in what they call world positive companies, companies that are making the world a better place, and that's all they do. You know, they, so it's not just about the you know the buck that they make at the end, but about only investing in companies that are doing the right thing. And there are more and more investors that are interested in mission-based companies today. So that's very, very encouraging. Um, so from the very beginning, we had investors who were aligned with us um, who only invest in vegan businesses. And um, so we had experience. Um, with people like that and this already opened up a whole network of other uh investors so when we decided to do a series b this is our first really big series round um that's helping us build a new facility and really just uh, take the marketing and sales to a whole new level um we just started to pitch i actually went and gave talks at a lot of these um conferences these pitching conferences that they have um that investment banks put on, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I just did as much networking as I could and was introduced to lots and lots of people. And people found out about us and they called us. And I literally spent several months probably having two or three calls a day. I spent most of my time fundraising. And we actually got several term sheets. Um, but really, the in the very, very end, um, we were looking for that partner that could that was strategic, that had a lot of business experience, um, that could give us more than just money, um, but also understood our mission and who we were. And that was very, very key because you know, I don't want an exit where you know, we're selling to, um, I don't know, some company that's going to turn, you know, start introducing cheap, cheap dairy into our products or something like mm-hmm. that. That's really, really important to me. Um, so, so we wanted somebody who's going to support us and and our team, our current team, rather than just coming in and replacing all of us. Um, because I figure if we brought it to this point where we are the fastest growing cheese alternative in the country, uh, we're you know um, in the triple digits in terms of, of um, growth every single year. Um, if we've got this brand recognition that is fairly um, uh, unusual for a company of our size at this point uh, in their trajectory, then we're doing something right. And so I want to keep the team together and take it to the next level. Um, so eventually um, I was 
the Circle Up guys called me up. Um, Circle Up is an online investment platform. And they said, look, we'd like to introduce you to some people. And um, so they did. They introduced us to a few people. And we found one um, investor that gave us the best possible terms, um, was really understood who we were. I was really impressed with how much homework they had already done about us and knew every single thing about us. They had watched every Facebook live. They just, but like, they just knew us inside out. And that really impressed me because it told me that they got our mission and whether or not they were, you know, they're not investing solely in vegan companies, but the fact is they understand that our mission is core to the growth of the company. And maintaining that is really what is helping to um, fuel its growth. So um, anyway, so JMK Investors, um, JMK Capital Partners became our invest uh, our partners, and we just had a wonderful relationship. They've been very involved. Um, they're on their board. Um, they participate in strategic uh, uh, discussions, um, and uh, it's you know I'm really very happy to be partnering with them right now. And what what is your mission precisely? Oh, the mission. Ah, uh, well, you know, like every other vegan company, to save the world, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but. But seriously, yes, I mean, it really is about that. I think each and every one of us has a role to play in uh, doing whatever we can to help reverse global warming and save the animals um, and save our health. Um, I have a, in addition to New York's Kitchen, I started a farmed animal sanctuary. Mm -hmm. um, I have a country of 17 acres and um, I have a, a nonprofit, 501c3, nonprofit organization, Rancho Compasión, that's the name. And we save, um, we rescue farm animals. I have goats and pigs and chickens and cows and sheep and ducks. And uh, they live a very happy life here. I start my day by shoveling manure um, and feeding the animals. Um, yesterday I spent, yesterday, the most relaxing day I have um, is, uh, you know, if I'm not traveling, I spend on a beautiful day, I'll spend like yesterday on Noon until six o'clock, I was just hanging out with the animals, just lying in the field. The cow puts her head in my lap. Um, I pet the goats and we, you know, we just, I play shepherd and we, I take them on hikes and they eat and then they lie down and, you know, I'm surrounded by goats. Literally, I'll sit down in the field. Next thing you know, all these goats are sitting right, right around me, uh, taking turns, you know, butting each other's heads to get as close as they can. Um, so it's the most relaxing thing. I can spend a whole day with them. And it's just the way I unwind. Um, but they've really healed me more than I've healed them, I think, maybe, or maybe vice versa. But, you know, really the, the, the whole company, the mission of the company is to save these animals that have every single right to live and yes. enjoy life just as we do. Nice, nice. Is that like an open sanctuary where people can come and, and help out? or do a day's work, or just come yes, to visit? Yes, I have work days and people come. We have regular volunteers who come as well. Nice. And we're going to start doing visitation days. We haven't really done that officially yet, but we are going to be start, starting that this year. Cool, cool. Now, you can, if you want to learn more about it, just go to ranchocompassion.org. It's, it's like Rancho Compassion, but with only one S. Yes. Well, we'll definitely put in all of that in, in the show notes for, for everyone yeah. who wants to check it out. Now, what, what about the future of vegan cheese? You, you mentioned that it's the fastest growing um, plant-based food category. Where, where do you think it's headed? Oh, I think it's headed to, uh, I mean, if you just look at all the little vegan cheese companies popping up all the time, um, the category is only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And we're going to see more and more high-end cheeses as well as better everyday cheeses, you know, the kind that you throw on a burger. Um, I think we need to get to a point where what a lot of some people who are not vegan are questioning, and I know you mentioned the Dairy Pride Act, but you know, what these yeah. legislators are questioning is, uh, well, plant-based cheeses aren't the nutritional equivalent of dairy. And that sounds like something that you know of course it's uh if you don't know much about nutrition that would be um a reason to uh believe the dairy pride act um 
So I think, you know, and it's, and it's true. A lot of uh, plant-based cheeses um, are made just from starches and oils and they may taste good, but you know, they're not really, they really don't have the nutrition. Um, you know, obviously we don't want anything that has the nutritional value of cow's milk cheese, because then you're talking about cholesterol and hormones and pesticides and all sorts of things like that. But I think it'd be a lot more, a lot easier to convince non-vegans to have vegan cheese if we can have vegan cheese that have the benefits that, you know, that the cow milk industry is touting, such as protein and calcium, as well as, hey, how about throwing in some fiber? So that's something that we're working on are some uh, cheeses that have more of an advanced nutritional profile, Mm -hmm. Um, all the good stuff without the bad stuff in it. Um, so I think that's something that, you know, companies will begin to produce. We're certainly working on it. I'm sure other companies are also doing the same. Um, but I, I, can, I think it's going to be a very exciting uh, next 10 years or so. We're going to see a lot more vegan cheeses on the market. The category is going to get bigger. And I really see all of this as a collaboration because we all have to grow the category together in order to increase visibility and make the products mainstream. Yes. So you, I'm, I'm assuming you're not too worried about the Dairy Pride Act yourself. Or the Dairy Pride Act? No, um, I think it's pretty funny, and they're actually getting flack from you know other um, legislators too. Um, the Plant Based Foods Association um, is working on an answer to the Dairy Pride Act. They have responded already, and and we're working on more. Um, uh, and we're also working on standards of identity because that really is an issue on every single vegan cheese company. I mean, uh, take it, take away the dairy pride act. Every single vegan cheese company calls their product by a different name. Mm-hmm. So some cheddar alternatives, some, some might say vegan cheese. Some might say like our company called it cultured nut product. Mm-hmm. So there has to be a standard for the industry. So it's, you know, it isn't that we can't call it cheese. That's not, that should not be the, the reason. It should be that we should all be unified. We should have a recognizable name. So everyone in the marketplace knows, oh, you know, when they see a vegan cheese product, they know what it is. I personally, I think we should just call it vegan cheese. Um, but um, we are, the Plant-Based Foods Association is putting together um, a team to really work on you know, standardizing um, what products are called in the industry. Mm-hmm. Not just cheese, but other foods. Yeah, as well. Good. Now, if we start kind of wrapping this up because we're nearing the end of our time, um, I wanted to ask you if you could share just one particular challenge, either business or personal, that you've had to overcome in in your journey to get to this point. One personal challenge or business challenge. Oh, gee. Which challenge, I think, is the question. <laughs> if you ask any entrepreneur uh, what the biggest challenge was. I, you know, I would say, um, for me, the biggest challenge was myself. Um, in the very beginning, I had had challenges before running businesses, and I just didn't have enough confidence in myself. And I thought, well, okay, I'm going to start this cheese company. I'm going to start with uh, by crawling and, um, and then maybe walking. Um, but instead of planning big, um, like other companies, you know, they'll design, they'll just get everything in place in the very beginning, but the entire team um, and uh, the facility, um, the marketing plan, and they'll decide they're going to go from point A to point B in, you know, in, they're going to go from zero to 10 million the first year, et cetera, um, you know, 10 to 30 the second, et cetera. Um, I kind of wanted to test the waters and start really slowly and see if there was a marketplace. And, and so that is what's causing the problem that we have right now. Um, I don't think I planned it quite right for this time and place. And this product, um, I started it more organically. If that makes sense, yeah. you know, wanting to have some sort of monitor, but not really realizing how ready the market was for it. Mm-hmm. So, if I had started this business 
10 years ago, starting it the way I did today, would, would have been appropriate. But because of where the market already has developed in the last 10 years, the last five years especially, for the readiness of the market, I should have known that. And I should have had a little bit more confidence in myself and my product to have a different business plan. Um, because I think we really could have you know, taken the country by storm. Um, and um, further that vegan cause. I mean, we need as many vegan businesses out there being successful um, as possible, as quickly as possible, in order to create the fastest change possible. That That's actually a very, very good insight. I mean, because starting organically is something that I would say for most entrepreneurs, it kind of rings true and and reliable because organic is normally good right if, if you're growing organically it means that you have a product that's a good fit for the market and you have the customers and it kind of just grows from there but as you just pointed out if the market is really ready for it and you're not ready for the growth that's right yes that's exactly right the market is ready and I'm not ready. Whereas years ago, I was ready. The market wasn't ready. So um, that's kind of... From what yeah. it sounds like, I think you're catching up quite well. Yes, yes. yes. Now, through, through those challenges, what, what is it that keeps you going? What gives you a drive? What, what motivates you? you know, I mean, once again, it's just... Um, it's really gratifying when you get an email from someone saying, um, wow, um, you know, my husband was resisting going vegan and because of your cheese or your butter, um, he's finally vegan. So little stories like that, um, really touched me. Um, just the connection that I have with people in the marketplace. Um, I really do see that, I guess, I don't know, years of hard work are finally beginning to pay off. Um, and, um, it's just a really exciting time. I mean, it's it's you can get really depressed in this world, look, watching all these you know videos of not only um, animal abuse but global warming or whatever. There's nothing I can do about it. Well, you can do something about it. There is something you can do about it. You can start a vegan business and try to make it as successful as possible. Because if we don't all try to do that and and uh, make changes in the marketplace, um, you know. Um, we're not never going to be able to change um, consumers. Consumers drive the economy. They drive change. Um, and so we have to convince them that this is a viable mainstream option. Yeah. Now, about 10 minutes ago, you were talking about vegan cheese and the future it has. Now, I want to ask you about the broader future of of the planet and the human race if everything that we are working towards happens like the best case scenario where where do you see us heading oh if everything happens you know i think um i think we're, we can be in a happy place um there's a funny video uh movie a, mo a mockumentary that the bbc just put out i think it's called carnage yes we haven't seen it, see it but it's about 50 at uh, 2070, uh, 50 years from now or something, when um, when the the uh, when uh, the UK is all vegan and they're looking back at this horrible time in history when people ate flesh and it was like, oh my God, how how were humans so uh, terrible back then? But um, I really I'm very hopeful if if we start thinking about oh, it'll never be possible. It's just too hard to get up in the morning. I have to get up every single morning thinking that a vegan future is possible. A more compassionate future is possible. That we all have to keep fighting until we can't fight anymore. That is the only thing that keeps us going. We all have to have hope. So that's I'm going to bet on that vegan future all the way. Yes, I'm totally with you, 100%. Yoko, for the end... Where can people find out more about your products? You still sell them online? We do still sell them yeah. online. And uh, uh, sometimes there's some out-of-stock issues. We're going to try to get better. You can go to miyokoskitchen.com um, to learn more about our product line. Um, and there's a store locator. We're sold in several thousand stores across the country. 
So you can buy them at your local Whole Foods. We got butter at Trader Joe's. Um, uh, we're in lots of stores across the country and online, of course, we have our limited edition products. So one thing we love to do is communicate with our customers and we um, kind of do beta testing online. So online is the only place you can get new products that we're testing out. Um, and some of those products um, actually are have become regular products. Uh, we're going to be introducing our smoked mozzarella, which is a phenomenal mm. uh, version of our mozzarella. It's smoked over wood fire and it slices beautifully. Um, it's so rich and full of umami and it's delicious on a pizza or in a panini. So that was initially a limited edition item online only. And now it's going to be rolling out the stores in June or July of this year. So, um, you know, you could be the, be the next first person to uh, check out our uh, new and exciting products. Um, so, yeah, online is a good way to be introduced to that. Okay, so meopuskitchen.com. If anyone's getting hungry like I am right now, let's go check it out. Perfect. Good. Miyoko, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Jerry. It was fun. Fun talking to you. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to, to trying this smoked mozzarella sometime very soon, I hope. Okay, I hope we can get you some next time. It doesn't get yes. up. Yes, we'll, right. we'll figure it out. <laughs> Don't worry. All right. All right. Great. Thank you. Thank you and have an awesome day. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. That was Miyoko from Miyoko's Kitchen on the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show, episode 24. Like I just said, if you want to check out some of her beta products or if you want to know more about everything that we talked about today, you'll find all the links in the show notes on our website, theplantbasedentrepreneur.com forward slash show forward slash episode 24. Uh, once again, if you're enjoying the podcast, I'd love for you to rate us and leave us a review on iTunes. And if you have any questions or comments or suggestions for me, you can get in touch on my plant-based entrepreneur Instagram channel at jerry underscore sever. That's S-E-V-E-R. Or just flick me an email on jerry at theplantbasedentrepreneur.com. Uh, this brings us to the end of this episode. And if you're somewhere where you can get your hands on good vegan cheese, I hope you're enjoying it. I'll talk to you again next week. Until then, stay amazing. And remember, the future is plant-based. <laughs>